back to Yes X or No Audio. Hello everybody. It's quarter past two in the morning uh, here on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia. It's Monday the 6th of November 2023. Two very interesting media pieces have come to my attention. First of which is from two days ago and that's episode 111 of Ask the Inspector with Scott Ritter. He provides an analysis of two things. First of all, the a military analysis of Hamas's attack on Israel, and secondly, a political and well, uh, yeah, political analysis of the speech given by Nasrallah. So that's the political leader of Hezbollah in Lebanon. In the first one, with regard to Hamas, Ritter essentially performs a military analysis of what they did, and he praises them for a number of things. First of which is that they're a light infantry unit, essentially, and what they did was textbook brilliant. They had a bunch of objectives that they achieved and they didn't overextend themselves and do silly things. They went out, they attacked various military installations and some civilian, as we know, and they achieved the hostages that they wanted and they got an awful lot of them back to Gaza. And that was the mission, to then use those hostages as leverage to free up the 5,000-odd Palestinians who are sitting in Israeli jails without charge. Textbook work militarily. The other point that Reza makes is that Hamas knew that the IDF would over-respond, that overreact, especially if they caught them off guard and were successful, which is exactly what happened. So the IDF have gone batshit stupid and they're just killing babies and pregnant women and grandmothers and refugees you know and then this shit's going all over the the internet and there have been you know the reactions are widespread to this i mean even here in australia i'm i mean which is a you know suck up the us's ass as hard as you can sort of ally and the national broadcaster is has got piece after piece after piece talking about you know the suffering of the palestinians and blah, blah, blah. so yeah, so the US is really suffering, and, and we'll get to that too. But back to Nasrallah. So the second point that the Ritter is making is this speech by um, Nasrallah to his organisation, Hezbollah, and he's saying, don't up the ante against Israel. Keep doing what you're doing. Essentially what he's saying is, let's not steal Hamas's thunder. Hamas has done a wonderful job. Let's continue to support them and not go beyond that. I.e., we continue to put pressure on the IDF in the north. You know, keep destroying their installations. You know, keep causing military casualties, etc. And we've had reports that a huge number of the settler population from the north in the Golan Heights area um, and the whatever the Sheba farms and so forth, they've all pissed off. There's no one left. Which is to say that the Israelis themselves do not believe that their own military can protect them, which is quite interesting. Which is a good assessment, but interesting. So, what's happening is that Nasrallah is not triggering this thing to explode even further by launching Hezbollah, and it makes sense that he would have spoken with Iran's political leadership. You know, the theocratic leadership, the political leadership, call it what you want. But, you know, the decision is to not actually widen this conflict because Hamas is winning. They're winning politically because of the international public opinion pressure that's being placed upon Israel. 
And Israel is not feeling that, but someone else is, and that's the US. So here we move to the second media piece, which was the, I think, the most recent. I'll put the link in the in below. A piece by Alex Christoforo, and it's one of his best, in my view, because he makes a whole sequence of very good points, uh, some of which are his own analysis, and he supports this by citing you know, various reports and so forth. It's a really good piece of work. So what Christoforo asserts is that there's big trouble in Little China happening uh, in the Democratic Party, particularly the leadership group underneath the puppet, Biden. And so that's Blinken and I think to some degree Newland. What Christopher is asserting is that this level of the administration is going to the Israelis and saying, Oi, you have not got months to get rid of Hamas. You've got weeks. And I expect that that's, no, we're talking days here. So serious is the international pressure. This is because of the context. We've just entered into November and now we're in the one year to go before the next you know, presidential election and everyone's thinking about that. And if they don't manage this well, it will prevent Biden from getting his second term and therefore all the second string people don't get to be a power either and therefore they can't make profit for the people who are meant to be, you know, doing kickbacks for. So, therefore, you know, they won't get another chance at this either because, you know, they didn't manage to work with the, you know, easy-to-manipulate puppet. Like, if you can't do that, how the hell are you ever going to get anything done? So, yeah, so they're in a panic, which is sort of cute. So uh, there's also, and this was a very keen insight, I think, from Christoforo, there's also a split happening in the Republican rank. And that's because the ultra-right-wing Republicans have seen this as the greatest opportunity they've ever had to have a war with Iran, and it's slipping away from them. And so the, the more um, moderate Republicans are doing things like saying, why are we spending all this money sending you know, weapons money to Israel, to um, uh, Ukraine, because it's a busted ass and we're losing, you know, fuck that. And they're not, they're also seeing the political heat that's coming from all the, you know, the IDF blowing up babies and then appearing all over the news feeds every fucking day. So they're also a little bit, you know, attuned to that. Whereas the Senator, whatever his turtle idiot, they really want this war with Iran. And it's the best chance they've ever had. Now. So, so there's a split happening in the Republican ranks too. It's quite interesting. So good piece of... Um, Spotting there by Christopher. He then moves to Ukraine and makes another interesting observation. And this is pretty much the theory he's been putting forward, and I think he might be right about it, which is that, well, first of all, we had the Time article come out to the hit piece on uh, Zelensky. And there's this other guy, Aristovich, who's been a bit of a sort of a bad smell, actually, but they've left him in power, and uh, he's an old friend of, of Zelensky's. And the theory that Christopher has been expressing is that they've been keeping him in the wings so that he can come in and be the uh, the replacement leader when they um, throw Zelensky under the bus to say Biden. And I think this is a reasonable theory. So we'll see how that goes. But what is the case is that the Russians are succeeding in various offensives that they're running. Uh, I think there's two main ones, one in the north and one in the centre. And the big thing that everyone's talking about is Adivka, and the current assessment is that that will fall in somewhere between days to several weeks tops. 
uh, and that will be something that won't turn turn into a buckwood because there's no chassis VR equivalent that can be used to resupply it. And the feeling is that the loss of a Divka will be the end of Zelensky locally, like within Ukraine. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Interesting enough. But the thing that interests me is to put these two things together. Essentially, because Israel were caught so off guard, they didn't have their usually well-orchestrated media plan in place. And they got caught repeatedly trying to mislabel, redirect, and, you know, straight-up false flag shit. So we had the thing of the the phone call thing that they released that was obviously not Palestinian uh, people. They were speaking Arabic, but it wasn't Palestinian Arabic and da-da-da, and that one got shot down. So um, a great article by Caitlin Johnston pointing that out, which was good work done by Channel 4 in the UK. And then there's been all this other stuff. So we found out about the um, the tactic that actually Ritter named that the Israelis use, which is when there are Israeli hostages by Hamas or whatever, what the Israelis do is they just kill everyone because the idea is to deny Hamas the, the political influence of the hostages, right? Because that's difficult. So it's quite nasty, and that's exactly what happened. We know this. I, mean, I put it in that article, what happened on the October the 7th, right? It's there. There's evidence from Israelis who are saying, no, they, they came in, the IDF, that is, and they fucking killed everyone, you know, except for me. So there's plenty of evidence for that in that, you know, some of the damage that was done to the buildings could only have been done the tank rounds and the... Fucking Hamas don't have any tanks, so it's obviously obvious who did that. Which is to say that the usually well-orchestrated media campaign that would, should have been associated with something like this wasn't there to be done. And they, of course they tried you know, shutting down the internet and turning off the power and all that sort of shit, but somehow the data's getting out, all of the atrocity porn. So this is what's causing the problem, the political problem. And it's, of course, Israelis don't give a shit. It's the Democrats in the U- in the US that are feeling the pressure. And this is beautifully summarised again by Christopher, who goes, you know, this time of year, every year, there's a vote in the UN about condemning the US blockade of Cuba. And every year, the only people who vote against this condemnation of the US's blockade are the US and Israel, same as usual this year, there you go. But what usually happens is an awful lot of people abstain. So everyone goes, no, this is fucking horrible, they should stop. And then a whole bunch of people abstain. And this is essentially the US using their uh, political influence to make sure that there's enough people abstaining so it doesn't look as bad as it should. This year, there was only one abstention. And who was that? Ukraine. That's it. Everybody votes for the condemnation except for... (laughs) the US and Israel, and one nation doesn't vote, Ukraine. <laughs> That's how bad shit is. So there you go. Like it's, it's, the shit really is coming down rather heavily on the US at the moment. But back to the media angle, because this is a difference between the beginning of the Ukraine war and the current situation in Gaza, in that the Ukraine war thing was triggered right, by the uh, increased shelling. Go back and look at the articles from a year and a half ago when I was doing it. I was following the reports day by day by day from the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe who were doing the reports in Ukraine. And there was a massive spike in shelling that happened. This is what triggered Russia to get involved. And it happened in four days. Go back and look at it. Very interesting. The media narrative that was going to be run 
to say, oh, you know, the evil Russians, you know, that was completely unprovoked and all this shit that they ran out. It was very well prepared and well executed. And they hoodwinked a whole lot of the peoples of the NATO countries, you know, believe this crap. So, but that hasn't happened this time in Israel, in Gaza, because the, the Israelis were taken by surprise. There are other differences too. I mean, there's not a foreign nation inv- invading another nation's soil. So that made it easier to sell the Ukraine thing. But I think that's, the other, that's another interesting point about what's going on, is that, that the Israeli media narrative wasn't prepared and it got exposed very rapidly. And they haven't been able to shut down the atrocity porn. So you get to turn off the power, they shut down the unit, still gets out. Amazing, right? So there we go. That tells us where things are up to. That the US is going to have to pull the plug on Israel. And if you think about this, if there becomes a distancing, if it becomes the case that because of what happens now, in the pressure that the US is going to exert on Israel, that what follows is a removal from the the machine that runs US foreign policy. If a lot of the Israeli influence is removed from that, then that means US's foreign policy might all of a sudden become a little bit more independent and a little bit less like just doing whatever the hell Israel wants. And that would be a good thing, in my view, and it would also make the people in Beijing and Moscow and Tehran, amongst other places, very happy. So we'll see, see where this all goes. But there you go. Two very interesting pieces. I'll put in the links, right? Very interesting pieces of analysis. Cheers. Until next time. Mm-hmm.